Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. So, um, Colossians 2 verse 6 um, says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, If you've received Christ, Jesus the Lord, today, this applies to you. Paul's writing to the church in Colossians. They have received Christ. He says, as you therefore have received Christ, so walk in him. Um, That's the the trick, isn't it? Receiving Christ is um, easy. Receiving Christ is free. Uh, The gift of salvation is, is available to every single person, man, woman, child, boy, girl. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are. The offer of salvation is extended to you. Um, And Paul says, but once you receive Christ, the work is in the walking. He says, you've received Christ, now walk in him. Not drive your sports car in him. Not run quickly, but walk in him. I was reading a, I was reading a news article on a guy who uh, decided, I think it was for one year, he decided to walk everywhere. He wasn't going to drive anywhere. He was just going to walk. And uh, it's a fascinating, fascinating story of what he learned. When you slow down enough to literally walk everywhere, one, you don't, you don't go as many places in a day. Uh, you rethink your Starbucks run because it's, uh, it's, you know, 10 miles is a, it's a big deal. Uh, when you walk, though, what, what he was talking about is how you take, you, you notice everything. He said he, he couldn't believe how much he had just driven past all his life and he hadn't taken it in. What happens is, you know, uh, transportation-wise, we're moving so quickly that we literally don't see the stuff on the journey. And I think that happens transportationally-wise, if that's a word. It also happens, I think, information Wise, we're taking so much in, we're thinking about so many things that we actually think about very little, truly think about very little. We focus on so many things that we actually focus on very little. Um, we do so many things that we actually accomplish very little. We've never been more busy and more capable of doing so much and yet more trapped in feeling like we're not doing anything. Um, and that's what this guy was saying. He said he felt like his life wasn't going anywhere, so he decided to walk. And when he slowed down and walked, he, he began to see, because, because it's fine to walk when it's like 65 and sunny, but if you're, if you're committing to a year, that means like today when it's like 100 and you know, the, humid, the humidity reads 110, you're out there, you're walking in it. Let me tell you, <laughs> it's difficult. And uh, when it's freezing cold, you're walking in it. And it's so interesting that Paul says, I want you, you've received Christ, now walk in him. Don't run in him. Don't try to get as far as you can, as quickly as you can. It's not a, this is not a competition. I want, you to, I want you to take in the scenery. I want, you to, I want you to walk in Christ. I want you to notice everything he's done to develop an appreciation for all the riches that is Jesus. And so that's what Colossians 1 was all about. It's like, here's, here, is, here is the universe that is Jesus. Now go walk in that universe, you know. And so once you receive him, it's free gift. There's no work associated with salvation. But after you've received him, the work is actually walking in him. And that's difficult. This is a difficult verse to swallow. 
as you receive Christ, now walk in him. We're like, great, I'm trying, Paul. You know, I mean, uh, give me a break. I'm, I'm working on it, all right? It's difficult. I got, this, I got this to do, and I got that person to appease, and I got these people to make sure I'm providing for, and I got this. And I have all this. It's difficult, and it is, which is why after verse 6, there is a verse 7. Because God knows we can't just walk in him. We need some instruction. We need some help. And so that's what verse 7 is all about. By the way, when you read Scripture, this is what happens a lot. There's this big um, commandment, and it seems kind of unachievable. Well, you keep reading, and you're going to see the how-to. The how-to walk in him is found in verse 7. There's actually four steps. So I'm, I'm not usually a step preacher, four easy steps to being financially free in 2013, but um, <laughs> but today I am. I, the, but but my, my twist on it is they're not easy steps. They're, um, they're, kind of, they're kind of difficult steps, but they're so important. So there's four steps to walking in him found in verse 7. First off, he says, rooted, you must be rooted and built up in him. Now, I don't know if Roe is here. She's not. Cool, so I can say the word rooted. Um, in New Zealand, rooted does not mean what it means in America. Uh, rooted is a cuss word, and it's not a very good cuss word. So you don't want to be rooted in New Zealand. Um, I'll just throw that out there. I've been teasing Roe that I'm going to do a whole sermon series called Rooted in Christ, you know. I just think that would be funny because it's cussing to her. It's not to me, so I can say it all day long, and it's... It doesn't offend my conscience, but um, my, my, my mother-in-law has been in town, so she was actually here for the 9 a.m. where the pastor talked about being rooted. Um, so it was a good, it's a, it's a good time. Um, this, the, the language thing is funny. Also, napkins. Um, you don't ever want to say napkins in New Zealand. Um, no, they are called serviettes. Um, so if you're ever with Rowan in a restaurant, she'll ask for a serviette because a napkin is actually a feminine product that ladies use at a particular time of the month. You don't want to wipe your face with... <laughs> A napkin. This is not something you don't you don't blow your nose in a napkin. It's not how that works. So anyway, it's just a little tidbit for you. Positive, encouraging stuff. Um, I do tend to say stuff. Some somebody was asking me. Somebody was asking me the other day. Like, why do you say things that kind of are edgy? That kind of like make people think weird things. I, well, because I like to throw people off. I enjoy the reaction. Just, just from a sheer enjoyment standpoint, honestly. I just, ever since I was a kid, I enjoyed getting people's reaction. So, like, when, like when the pastors visited, I was five years old. The pastors visited our house. I was in my pajamas. I kicked off my pajamas, ran around butt naked in front of the pastors because I knew my mom would be freaking out. And sure enough, she freaked out, and it was hilarious. Um, anyway, I, I, I enjoy reactions, but also it kind of keeps people off guard. So, like, if you're, if you're talking about napkins and serviettes one minute... Um, then, then they don't know what to expect. So then they stay engaged. So it's a trick. See, it's, it's a method to my, my madness. Say, so you're not going to go to sleep around here because we might start talking about napkins and it's all fun. But no, root, so uh, probably a better word for rooted would be planted, right? Because that, that's not offensive to our New Zealand friends. Um, planted in Christ. This is how you walk in Christ after you've received him. This is how you continue. First off, you must be planted or rooted in Christ and built up in him. Uh, built up means to grow, to, to see growth. Right? So this is still a tree. It's, it's really, it's a word picture of a plant or a tree of some sort. It, it must be planted or rooted in the ground. And then this growth will come up out of it. The tree will grow 
And they're, both, 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 both of those things are in Christ. Notice, they're in Jesus. It's everything he's been talking about in chapter 1. Jesus is life. He's what it's all about. They're, those are in Christ. But then he says, you must be established, this is the third point, established in the faith. And established means stabilized or, uh, yeah, established, stabilized or strengthened in the faith. Now, you're, you're planted, you're rooted and built up in Jesus, and then you are stabilized by faith, as you've been taught, abounding, this is the fourth one, abounding or, or becoming fruitful in thanksgiving. So the four, the four steps to walking with Jesus, walking in Jesus, is number one, must be planted in him. Number two, you must grow in him. Number three, uh, you must be established in him. And number four, you must become fruitful. God, this is, this is the plan that God has for your life. This is what God wants. And so uh, the title of my message today is really talking about uh, what Paul is talking about here. He's taking us on a journey from the root uh, to the fruit. So it rhymes, it must be anointed. That's what I'm going with. So Daniel, write that down. It's going to be on our podcast, From the Root to the Fruit. Um, this is what God has intended for us to empower us to walk with him. He wants us from the root uh, to the fruit. And by the way, the, your roots will affect your fruit. Your roots will determine your fruit. And so all of us have fruit in our lives. If you have bad fruit in your life, it's because you have a bad root. Does that make sense? Uh, and, and, and so oftentimes in church, we focus, and really just in life, we focus too much on the fruit. We see fruit that we don't like. We see fruit that's not good. And we say, okay, I need to change that fruit. Well, a bad root is just simply always going to produce bad fruit. You cannot change the fruit. There's no changing of the fruit. Um, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. He said, likewise, every good tree, uh, every good tree, every good tree, not just a few, every good tree, every good root, every good root system, out of that good root, out of that good tree will grow good fruit. And every bad tree will bear bad fruit. A, bad, uh, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. It, it doesn't work that way. If the root is good, the fruit will be good. It has to be. It will always be. If the root is good, the fruit will be good. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Thus, if the root is bad, the fruit will be bad. So if you see, and it's, some of us have received Christ, and we still have some areas of bad fruit. Well, that's not a sign to burn down the tree. <laughs> don't, don't, don't burn down the tree. Like, just change the root. The problem is not the tree. The problem is not your faith in Christ. The problem is not the tree. It's not you. The problem is what you are rooted in. The problem is the root. And so you, 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 you can't change the fruit, and you can't burn the tree. You've got to trace it back to the roots. Every bit of bad fruit is a result of a bad root. And every good fruit is a result of good root. Romans, Romans tells us this in Romans eleven sixteen, 16. says, if the root is holy, so the branches will be holy. You will look like, on the outside of your life, what you are planted and rooted in on the inside of your life. It will come out. It will. And so if, if you don't like what you see out here, if you, if you can't seem to walk in Jesus for very long, if you keep trying to walk in him and then you falter and you stumble, the, the goal is not to try harder. 
The goal is not to beat yourself up more. The goal is to change the root. There's a, there's a root system. See, many of us here in this room, if I, were, if, I were, uh, if I were at Texas State, I would change my sermon a little bit. But And, and by the way, I've, I've preached at Texas State. Uh, one, one time there was this girl's, Christian girl's sorority asked me to, to go do this open-air preaching. And it was kind of bizarre. It was just, it was in, down in San Marcos, Texas State, and it was and, and like right near the cafeteria. So people were coming in and out for food, and they gathered on the hill. There was like 50 girls all there for me to preach to them. And I was like, all right. And so um, anyway, so I, I began preaching. What was weird, though, is as people would come out, um, they would go up the steps. Like there's like as one guy especially came out, went up the steps, and he stopped at the top, and he turned around, he was listening. While he was listening, I just sensed the Holy Spirit telling me to, say different stuff. So it's so interesting that God will speak to me about who's in the room. Some of you are like, oh, crap. <laughs> Not like that, okay? I don't see actual pictures of what's going on. I just, I, it's just, it's just the Holy Spirit sometimes is like, okay, in that area, like, this is what is needed. And the Holy Spirit's never condemning so he wasn't condemning that guy. He was calling that guy. And it was interesting. So, so if I was at Texas State, I would preach this differently. But since I'm in a church, most of us would probably say, you know what? I, 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 am, I have Jesus as my root. The question is, which Jesus do you have? Because many of us have a version of Jesus that produces bad fruit. And so we feel stuck because we got this bad fruit, but we got Jesus. And we're like, hold up. I got Jesus and a bad fruit because here's, here's the best root you can possibly have in your life is Jesus. That's, hopefully you've figured that out from Colossians chapter 1, that Jesus is the absolute best root. In fact, Jesus even said of himself in John 15, he said, I am the vine. That's the root part of the, of the tree. You are the branches. I am the root. You are the branches. If you remain in me, if you, if you are connected to me, if you're plugged into me, you will bear much fruit. But if you're not connected to me, apart from me, you can do nothing, no thing, right? And Philippians says, through Jesus, I can do all things. And Jesus said, that's true, but without me, you can do no thing. And so if there's an area in your life that's not producing fruit, that's doing no thing or is producing bad fruit, that's an area in your life that is not plugged into the person of Jesus or is plugged into a version of Jesus that is not really Jesus. Jesus says of himself in several places, actually, that he's the root. In Revelation 22, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am, he says, the root. I am the root and, he says, the offspring of David. I love that because he's the root of David because he was before David. He called David. He produced David. He grew David. He spoke into David before David was David. He was the David underneath the David, producing, growing the David. So he's the root. But he's also the offspring because he was born of a virgin Mary from the lineage of David. So it's almost like maybe another way to say it is I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. I'm the one who created man, and then I became man to restore man to what I originally created man to be. I'm the bookends of life and of history. I'm the first and the last. There's nobody before me and there's nobody after. Anyway, Jesus is the best root that you could possibly plug into, and hopefully you got in that far in life. Because, dude, like nowadays we have so many options. 
we have so many other roots. We have so many other things calling. Because what the root is in tree world is it's the thing, like if you're a branch, and I, I know you have no experience in this, and I really don't either. But as, as, as I got to know the trees on my property lately, um, if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a branch, just kidding, I'm not a tree hugger. If you're a branch and you're connected to a tree, what the root means to you is it's that thing that brings you the nutrients you need. It's that thing that brings you the nutrients that you need. Jesus said, I am the ultimate thing to bring you the nutrients that you need. The problem is we have a lot of other things on our, on our, on our, on our, on our newsfeed. We have a lot of other things uh, on our laptop. We have a lot of other things in our mind. We have a lot of other options. We have a lot of other relationships, even family, really good relationships. We have a lot of other options that offer to, and boyfriends and girlfriends, that offer to bring us the things that we need. And so this is why Paul says it's so important that you are rooted in Christ. That you are planted in Christ. So the issue is not, don't, don't throw away the tree, change the root. If you don't like the fruit, change the root. You, Jesus must be the root of everything that you are and everything that you do. And I, like, like I've been saying, I'm a one-trick pony. I don't have a whole lot of really interesting things to tell you every Sunday except... Go to Jesus. Jesus is the one root that will fix your marriage. Jesus is the one root that will fix your relationships. Jesus is the one root that will fix your finances. If you can't have self-control, Jesus is the one root that will give you, oh, wait a minute, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. If you need any of that stuff in Galatians, it's all coming from the root of Jesus. He's it. He's so awesome that when you're plugged into him, like he's such a, such a powerful root, such a stabilizing root. Because when the winds of life come against your tree, if you're not going down into the soil a little bit, you're going to get top heavy. You're going to fall over. Uh, adversity will push you over if you're not connected to a very strong root. Jesus is the strongest root because even, even his enemies end up worshiping him. <laughs> like even, even when, when the, the greatest hurricane that ever hit anybody hit Jesus and he had to take all of our sins on his shoulders and he had to take the wrath of the Jewish leaders and he had to take the, 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 the power play of the Roman officials. Uh, let me just give you this really weird scripture for just a minute. I'll just throw this out to you and just kind of let, let, let you chew on this for a while. Uh, John 19, Pilate has decided to crucify Jesus. He had a little talk with Jesus about power and, and how he's got power. And, and Jesus just kind of chuckled at that, you know, and said, yeah, that's, that's cute. That's cute power that you have. Um, you have the kind of power that somebody's able to give you, right? In other words, you're plugged into a root that gives you a sense of power. Congratulations. Jesus, however, is the root, He's plugged into nothing. He simply has power in himself. And so Jesus is able to notice Pilate's power and recognize it's an inferior kind of power. But anyway, when Pilate goes to crucify Jesus, it was common for him to write an epitaph to, to have posted on top of the victim's cross. And this is what he writes. He says, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. And it read in English, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written, look at this, in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek, three languages. The chief priests of the Jews, however, protested to Pilate. 
oh, oh man, when the religious leaders start freaking out, that's when you need to read a little closer. The religious leaders protested, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, who was an ambassador for Caesar, who was the most powerful voice in all of the world, the known world at that time, Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. And in the original language, it means what I have written is going to remain written forever. Now, the Jews were upset because Jesus was uh, being called their, their king. But this was part of Pilate's joke of the day. If you read the rest of the story, Pilate dresses him in a crown of thorns and a robe because of the whole king joke that he thought was funny. It doesn't seem that Pilate actually thought Jesus was their king, um, but he was afraid of Jesus for a couple of reasons. And so it is interesting that he labeled him um, the way that he labeled him and then that the Jews got upset because the Jews didn't get upset before when he said, here's your king, when he said, do you really want to crucify your king, blah, blah, blah. Nobody threw up a protest at all until he wrote these, these words in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic on the top of the cross. And so just, just to give you a little factoid about those words, uh, I, I have a little sign up here to show you those, those, those original words, the writing and, and, and in Hebrew, you read from right to left, by the way. Um, and, th and this is kind of interesting. This is just something, this is not part of the sermon. This is just for free. Um, it seems to me that most major languages that are west of Jerusalem um, are read from left to right. Or I guess you could say from west to east. And it's also interesting that most major languages that are located east of Jerusalem, are read from right to left, or I guess east to west. It's just kind of interesting to me that perhaps all languages point back to, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's, it could be just conjecture. It's just a small point. Don't build a theology on it. But go do your own research. It's kind of funny to me. Anyway, Hebrew is written from right to left, and this is what Pilate wrote, Yeshua which means Jesus, Ha-Nazari, ha which means the Nazarene, Melech, the king, um, Ha-Yehudim, of the Jews. Jesus, the king of the Jews. Uh, now, he had been saying this. Nobody was that upset. But when he, when he wrote it the way that he wrote it, the religious leaders got upset. And I think it could be because religious leaders, Jewish leaders, were big time into acrostics. And so if we could throw up just the next slide, uh, if you read the Psalms, actually, a lot of the deeper meaning of the Psalms is, is when you understand this, this, this acrostic theme. Acrostic means the first letter of each word forms another word. And David used to do this in the Psalms, uh, and that's why some of the Psalms seem extra long, because he's, he's, he's writing words with the first letters of those words. So it's, really, it's a really cool way of doing poetry. Uh, it's a lot more in-depth in the way that we do it. But, but what Pilate did, when he, I don't, whether he meant it or not, I'm not sure, but with these words, the first letter of Yeshua is transliterated. The transliteration would be a Y in English. Uh, the Nazarene, the first letter is an H, and then a W, and then an H, which if you read that, that's the abbreviated version of the most holy word in all of the Hebrew Bible, which is the name of God, Yahweh. And I think the religious leaders got really upset when, he, when they noticed, because they would never write the name Yahweh. When, they were, when the scribes were transcribing scripture, they would always abbreviate it with Y-H-W-H. -H. 
because they felt the name was too holy to even write out entirely. And so whenever they were talking about the one true God, whenever they were talking about the creator of the universe, whenever they were, this is what they would write. And so even, I don't even know if Pilate meant to do this, but it's interesting that even, even the enemies of the root can't stop the power and the stability of that root. What I have written will remain written for all time, that it's not just the king of the Jews on that cross. The, the Holy One of Israel is also hanging on that cross. And you need to write it three times in three different ways in three different languages because there is a father and there is a son and there is a Holy Spirit on that cross at the same time. In him dwelt the fullness of all the Godhead bodily. And he's only going to borrow the grave for three days because Jonah was in the whale for three days. And there was Moses and Elijah and Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And John said, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. I could go on with the, 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 the significance of the three languages, but it's interesting to me that even his enemies end up worshiping him and acknowledging who he is. So that when you're, when you're rooted in Jesus, even the stuff that comes against you will end up worshiping the God who is empowering you and stabilizing you and solidifying you and growing you. Even your enemies end up singing your praises. The root has got to be right. You get the root right by accepting Jesus, putting your faith in Jesus. So, so you can do that today. If you're here today and you're like, man, my fruit is messed up. You need to change your root. It's just that's it. It's that simple. You put your faith in Jesus. You move. You stop looking to whatever you've been looking to. Because we, we look to all kinds of things. Money is a major, it's a major root that says, hey, you know what? If you have this, you'll have stability. If you have this, then you'll be able to grow. If you have this, then you'll be, man, and it's crazy. It'll, it'll cost you everything, and there won't be any growth. But Jesus, you simply put your faith in Jesus. But, Paul says, you must be rooted or planted and then also growing. So how do you grow? How does a, how does a tree grow? How does a tree that's got a really good root, how does it grow? Well, it doesn't grow when you're holding it up in your hand like this. You can have the best root possible. And if you're not in some healthy soil, you are not going to grow. And this is why there are Christians who have found Jesus, put their faith in Jesus, and they refuse to submit to healthy soil of a church. And they don't get the nutrients that Jesus intended them to get because the root itself does not, refuses to provide the nutrients. It pulls the nutrients from the soil that it's planted in. And so what I've noticed, that for, that for, that for a planting, you just accept Jesus. But for growing, you get connected to a healthy church. And there are several healthy churches. City Chapel's a healthy church. Point Community down the road's a healthy church. There's several healthy, healthy churches around. There's some good soil around. But, but here's the deal, like, like what, what, what I've run into is a lot of people who have uh, uh, sat on top of soil for like 10 years, and then they say, well, that just doesn't work for me. Austin is full of folks that as soon as you start talking about plugging into a church, they're like, oh, really, organized religion? Again, there it is again. He's going to take up an offering next. Just watch out. Here, here it goes. Because, we're <laughs> because we have a bunch of people they never, they never, the roots never went down into the soil. They just sat on top of the soil and got dirty. 
And all they got was the dirt from the soil, never got the nutrients from it. They got the bad taste in their mouth from religious people who judged them and judged everybody else. They got the bad taste in their mouth from the protesters who are calling people out and telling them God hates them and all that. They got all the bad taste in there. They got all the dirt without the nutrition. Granted, there's dirt. Every church, there's dirt. And if it's not there, you bring it when you get there. So it's just, that's just how it works. There's always dirt, but man, in, in healthy soil, there is dirt, but there are also uh, vitamins that the, that the nutrients that the plant needs to survive. And so, and so seriously, I don't mean by plant, by plugging into a local church. I don't mean showing up. Because that's just sitting on the soil. There are people that, that they, they, they show up for five years. And they check it off their, their list, you know. They, uh, somebody said, told me one time, paying, they're, they're paying their dues. They don't actually mean paying anything, unfortunately. They just mean sitting there and listening to me talk, you know. It's like, man, hey, you could pay. Let me just kind of pass the offering buckets. Just kidding. Uh, but they don't really pay anything. They just, like, to them, paying is rolling out of bed, God forbid, and sitting down and listening to me ramble on for a few minutes. And, like, to them, like, that's their sacrifice. That's their cross to bear for Jesus. And, and they, they come and they sit on the soil and they, they never allow the soil to feed them, though. That's the key. The people that allow themselves to be pastored, the people that allow themselves to be corrected lovingly, the people that allow themselves to grow from the soil. We have folks at City Chapel who, who are children of City Chapel, meaning they have grown from City Chapel. And then we have other people who come and they feel like they're already pretty grown. And they're like, I don't really need anything from the soil. I'm just here to contribute. And it's like, well, that's really cool that you want to contribute. But if you can't, if you can't take something from this soil, then you're not really planted in the soil. You're too spiritually proud to admit that you need something from the soil. You just got a gift or whatever that you're going to give. And it's like, well, do you know what I'm bringing to the table? Well, that's, that's, that's great. That's wonderful. The question is, what are you drawing from the soil? This is the question. This is what growth, where growth happens. Because at some point, that person drew a lot. At some church, 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, they drew a whole lot. They were babies sucking on milk, growing like crazy. And then at some point, they decided they were grown enough. And now they were going to go to different soils and bless those soils with their presence. Well, that's, that's lovely. We, we embrace those folks. We love them. Uh, they're awesome, but our goal, our hope, is that their roots would go down into the soil and actually take something from us, actually be disciples of us. That's what it means to join a church. Not, it's not a cult, but to become disciples together under Christ as our ultimate head, but drawing from this particular soil, the soil which rain does water this earth, and God takes care of, God puts the nutrients in there, we bring the dirt, and together, though, we create this place of growth, where people can grow from it, where where Chloe and Finn can grow from it, where kids can grow from it, they don't have to be at some spiritual level to fit in, they can be at whatever level, and they just grow from it, just from that soil, so Jesus will always call you to plug into a healthy soil, 
Maybe it's City Chapel. Maybe it's Point Community. Maybe it's another one of these churches around here. I don't know. But God's going to call you. And when he calls you to do that, he's going to ask you to get plugged in and connected. Not just sitting. This week I had a great conversation with a lady who's just recently started serving at City Chapel. Um, and I think actually it's kind of a new thing for her in general, serving in church, like, like in her whole life. And it's interesting to me because I've been serving in church since I was seven and I can forget stuff. Um, and she was, I was asking her how it's going and, and what's going on. She's serving like almost every week doing, doing this one particular task. And she said, it's really awesome because she does that task in her regular life too. But when she does it for God, it just, it's so much more meaning to it. There's so much more significance to it. And I thought, man, yeah, I haven't, I haven't thought about that in a while. I often think about how much it costs people. Oh, they're having to give up family time. Oh, they're having to give up sports time, and they can't watch that, and they can't, couldn't go to that concert. And it's true, but it's also whatever it costs you to, to reach down into the soil of the church, what you get out of that is so much more. It's so much better. It's so much better. And so that's what she was saying. She said, it just it gives me so much significance. I'm doing it for God. I'm doing it for, for, for what he's, his work on the earth. And then she said, she said, it also makes me just focus more on my walk with God. And I thought that was interesting because, once again, I kind of forget that. But it is true that when you put your roots down into a local church, there's a bit of an accountability there, which is why some people don't want to do it. They're like, I don't want people to know my name. I want to come here five minutes late, 10 minutes late, 30 minutes late. And uh, just, hey, if, if the Lord's speaking to you, that's just the Lord. That's not me. Um, and then I want to leave five minutes early. So when he starts praying, serving, your sermon's over, I got it, cool, I'm, I'm out. And I'm in the parking lot and I'm in my car and I'm out because I don't want people to know me. Because if they know me, they might speak into my life or they might notice when I'm not on my spiritual high. And, they might, <laughs> and so there's a certain amount of vulnerability that comes from going into the soil. But the benefits of that, she said, I feel like I, I have to focus on my faith. I have to focus on my relationship with God. And I said, what, just because you're serving at the church? It's crazy to me. I forget about that, but it's true. There's, there's this constant, even in my own life, I know that I'm not living to myself. I know that there are other people watching me. There are other people looking to me. There are, and, and that helps motivate me and push me to be all that God's called me to be. And so part of the power you're looking for that creates growth in your life is it's going to come from your connection to the soil. It's just this internal thing that starts pushing you and starts saying, hey, you need to, like, I know you're discouraged, but it's all right. You need to, you need to smile anyway and work through this. Like, I, I know it's difficult, but, you, but, but you, need to, you, you need to figure out a way to still humbly walk through this, you know. And, and, it, and it, that's what community does. And that's what the soil of, of a good church will do. And so in that soil, growth starts to happen. But it's not just growth that's important, or should I say vertical growth. It's not just vertical growth that's important. Paul says after this, you need to be established in your faith. Established is, it's where, it's the root of that word is stability stabilizing. Now, how do we do that, Paul? Well, Paul says you're established in the faith. So you're rooted and growing in Jesus. He's the one that provides all of that along with the community of the church. That's where growth happens, but that's vertical growth. But then there's this other kind of growth because you can grow so tall that the winds come at you and you just fall over. So you never just want to grow this way. 
You want to grow this way and this way. You want to grow up, that's good, but you also want to grow out. This is not an excuse for you to get the extra large plate of tacos today after church, okay? Pastor said I need to grow out. No, it's not what I was talking about. I'm talking about spiritually, all right? Uh, that's not healthy. Too much of this is not healthy. But what's really healthy is spiritually that you grow up, you also grow out. Trees, trees do this. Trees never just grow up. They never grow up without growing out. With every bit of up that's going on, there's an out that's also happening. And you can, you can tell this when you cut a tree down. So I, I got a little picture from the internet uh, to help explain this. When you chop a tree down and you cut across it, you'll see these circles. You'll see these rings. And each ring represents a year of the tree's life. Now, there are some, what they call them, fake, fake rings. There's some rings that look sort of like rings, but it's not really a year, but they're, they're extra light. So an expert will be able... Not me, but an expert would be able to cut into a tree, and they can tell you how old exactly the year that that tree was planted. It's interesting, just by counting the rings. Because every year, that thing's growing up, yeah, but it's also growing out. And it grows out, and as it grows out, it covers the previous growth. You see that? It insulates. So with each ring that goes outward, it's protecting and shielding the rings that were inward. This is what faith does. Faith is not just a belief that God is something. It's not a mental thing. Faith is a belief, yes, in God, but resulting in obedience. Another, a better way, I think, to say faith is really to obey God, to hear what he's telling you to do and to do it. And I feel like in the Christian life, our, our growth, it's interesting. You cannot accelerate the growth up. That's something that God does, but you can accelerate the growth out because it's simply obedience. And there are some people that have been in churches for like 15 years. And literally, they, they, they look about like this. They have grown, they have like three rings. Because there was those three times in 15 years when they said yes to Jesus. Okay, fine, I'll do it. And he, he's been bugging them for the past eight years about the same thing. And they think they're growing out because they've just been sitting longer. And they've got fatter with more knowledge of the word, and they, they know more creeds and doctrines and theologies, and, they, and they've read more about the Holy Spirit, and they understand how many wings are in the, the seraphim, and, and they, they know all the Bible stories, and they think that's growing. No, that's not what stabilizes you. Faith in the word of God, obedience to God stabilizes you, which is why there are other Christians that have been saved for five months. They're only about this tall, but they are so, they're so stable. They're about this wide because they have so many rings, because because every time they, they deny themselves and obey the voice of God in their life, a new ring of, appears. Every time God says, I want you to, to give financially. Okay, I give financially, and a new ring appears. God, I want you to commit to attending church. Okay, I want you to go to a small group. Okay, I want you to serve. Okay, and every single time you step in, a new ring appears. And what that does is it, is it stabilizes the growth that God's doing in your life. Because you don't just want to grow. You want to grow and stay. As you, as you received Christ, so walk in him, so live in him. You don't just want to grow and then 10 years later say, man, that was an awesome time when I was growing with the Lord. Wasn't that, wasn't that really cool? Uh, no, there is a stabilizing factor to your faith. The reason why we obey God is because it, it, it solidifies what God is doing in our lives. It locks it in. 
Because, and what's cool is, if you, if you look at these rings, man, you have, you have some rings that are really wide. This, is, this would be a rainy season. So during seasons of great rain or great grace or great power where everything's easy, which was kind of like me this past week. I had a great season. It was a great week. Uh, and, uh, and the devil, like, took a nap, and he was messing with you all this week. I don't know. He, he wasn't done. I was cool. Uh, but you have some really great times and they're more than just a week you have some seasons where it's like man things are easy little little obedience goes a long way in those seasons you see see how much growth comes from just that one ring i mean like like a lot of a lot of stuff is added on just by just by making one change i just took one step and whoo wow it's awesome but then there are seasons that are more dry seasons. And in the dry season, there's, there's less space between the rings. In other words, a lot of obedience just goes a little ways. In dry seasons, you're obeying your guts out, and you feel like you're taking about two steps forward and three steps back. And, and you keep obeying, and you, then you fall back again. You keep obeying, and you're not feeling anything. It's dry. There's no extra help going on. And it's weird how there's such progress uh, with, with, with the rainy season, uh, but there's such slow progress in the dry season. And, that, and that's true in church growth, too, by the way. There are dry seasons at City Chapel where we're doing everything that we've always done, and it's just we're just not growing the same way that we were growing. And if you're not careful, you'll, if you're not careful, you will think that age is dependent on the thickness between the rings, but it's not. It is dependent on the rings. So it is dependent on the obedience. In the dry season, it takes more obedience to get any kind of um, white stuff. Uh, that's, the, that's, the, that's, the, that's the very scientific term for the growth that happens on trees. But, but here's the key. Every ring is important because every ring solidifies and locks in what had happened before. Because there's going to come a season where there is a forest fire. And in that forest fire, you can see the scarring on the ring... Because that's why the ring's there to protect what had happened, all the growth that had happened in front of it. So God knows the forest fire that you're about to walk into. God knows the season you're about to step into. And even in the dry season, he'll call you to be obedient because it'll create a ring that will be a safeguard against the, against the forest fire of loss, the forest fire of depression, the forest fire of hormonal imbalances, the forest fire of relationship breakups, the forest fire of stuff you can't control control of presidential elections, the forest fire of all the stuff that's outside of your control is blocked and shielded by your simple act of obedience. So even if you don't see much growth, the ring locks it in. The ring secures it. The ring makes sure that what God has put in you stays inside of you and keeps growing. Man, if you, don't, if you don't have those rings, if you don't have those rings of obedience, when that first major hurricane hits, all the stuff that had been growing is broken down. And all your vertical is done. That's the trick. The vertical growth is the stuff people notice. They're like, oh, isn't she growing? Which is good. It's good. Look, if you're growing and nobody notices, <laughs> you're not growing. <laughs> That's all in your head. That's all in your, it's not real. Real growth, people will notice. And that's wonderful. But the kind of growth that keeps that thing from toppling is the kind of growth that people don't normally notice. 
But when you cut open the tree and you look on the inside, that's where you're like, yeah, look at all those rings. You, you look at a tree from the outside, you can't see the rings at all. Nobody knows the amount of obedience it's taken for you to get to the size that you're at right now. Except you. Which brings me to my final point. Paul said, in the end of all this, the goal is that you would be abounding in thankfulness. It's weird to me. I, 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 I read the Bible and I just try to read it as if I need to understand this. And so I was telling Ro this week, I said, this, this verse bothers me because I don't understand it. I get the rooted part, especially when I can mock her for it. Um, that's really fun. I get the, the growing part. I get uh, the established part. I mean, all that's really awesome keys. But the, the final fruit, the final product of this is thankfulness. I'm like, oh, shouldn't it be something like holiness or revival or Jesus taking over Austin or like, something really cool, something like, or even like Colossians 2 earlier where he says that you would know the mystery of the divine mystery of the knowledge of God, mainly Jesus Christ. Couldn't that be at the end of this tree? But no, it's just thankfulness. I was like, well, that's interesting. So usually whenever the Bible says something that if I were writing it, I wouldn't have written that. That's a good sign that, Harry, you're, you're not tracking with me here. You're not, I'm, I'm trying to tell you something. You're jumping ahead. You think, this, oh, you're so in love with this fruit over here. But there's this rich fruit called thankfulness that is so valuable and so uh, nourishing to those people who receive it, but also to those who grow it. It's the kind of fruit that feeds the tree too. It's so interesting. It's like, it's thankfulness. I'm like, okay, well... I think one of the reasons why I don't like thankfulness, it's not that I don't like it, but it's just, it just gets a bad rap. In a, in a rich culture like we are, thankfulness means being thankful for my stuff. And I, 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 I don't like that because honestly, I think it's part of our idolatry that we worship our stuff so much that we can't imagine something greater to be thankful for than our stuff. I got stuff. I got a, got a new car. I got stuff. I have a, a beautiful wife from New Zealand. I got, I got awesome kids. I got stuff. You have stuff too. You have really cool stuff. You have nicer cars than me. My wife is still better, but you know, I'm just saying you got, you got, you got nice stuff. You got nicer houses than me. I mean, yeah, we, we all got stuff. We all have things. And I, and I think that's awesome. I'm not against stuff. I'm not like God doesn't want to have stuff. No, I think God loves to bless us. And we happen to live in like the most prosperous generation of all of human history. We throw away more food than, you know, entire generations have eaten. Like, it's just, just mind-boggling, the, 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 the level of um, just excess that we, that, we, that we are blessed to live in in some ways. We're really blessed, and we can use those resources to bless others. Never before, and, and America does that actually more than like any other nation. And the church, by the way, people are dogging on the church, but the church does more to bless the homeless, does more to bless the immigrants, does more to bless people who, who are impoverished than, than like any other organization. So, so I'm proud of the church. I'm proud. Of, I, I'm fine with our stuff. 
but it's it's the fact that that's kind of the limit of our thankfulness. I see that as really, really weak because what happens is that's cool when you have a lot of stuff, but what about when you lose your stuff? You still abounding in thankfulness? What are you thankful for? Right, then at that point, it's hard and we just have to be like, well, I just believe God's gonna get me my stuff back. Went to the enemy's camp and I took back. Anyway, some of you weren't in the church in the 80s, but I was, and we were taking back stuff the devil stole from us because we wanted our stuff back, darn it. Give me that credit card. I'm going to get my stuff back. Um, Visa helped us out. Uh, but we, 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 because, because we just, like, that's what we're thankful for. But with the word abounding, which is the kind of way that thankfulness needs to be growing in our life, the word abounding is really, it's, it's an elaborated form of, of the preposition peri, which is where we get our, uh, we use peri in different English words like perimeter, perimeter. It means all around. So when he says abounding in thankfulness, what he means is from every angle, all around this tree of your life, there's fruit. Not, now I know on Instagram you have your favorite angle and you have the angle, the side, your good side. I know ladies have their good side. Well, you know what? God wants you to look good from all sides. 360, God wants you to look good. And not just, probably more biblically, God wants you to be thankful from all sides. Thanksgiving from all sides. How in the world, like, like, yeah, when we have stuff from this angle, ooh, I'm looking good. I'm so thankful. Thank you, God, for all this stuff. But when we turn and the season changes and we lose some of the stuff, how can we be thankful when our Thanksgiving was connected to our stuff? And so this is the key is to, yeah, obviously thank God for stuff, but that the Thanksgiving that's growing out, out of you is not rooted in stuff. It's rooted from the fruit to the root. It goes up this way, and then the fruit looks back down at the process that you have gone through, and you see the rings of your life, and you see at the very base of it the root of Jesus Christ. And you are so thankful not for what you have, but for who has you. And this is the place where thankfulness can be abound, can be 360, can be in every season, even in the worst season, July and August of Texas, you can be thankful, not for what you, but for who has you. So I want to end just with a personal story. Back uh, in 2015, we started the church uh, January 25th, and we were living in... um, San Marcos, but like way out in San Marcos toward Wimberley. And we were just praying for God to give us a, a property so that we could live closer. Because I was driving up here every day, meeting with people, trying to pastor a church, and it was a little bit difficult. And so God finally opened up the door for us to get this property where we currently live. And on the property was this um, shack that was our house. Uh, I say shack because it was like a 40-year-old, 50-year-old property uh, house, and it was falling apart. Um, It was not in good condition, but we said, you know what? We'll live in that for about five years or so. We'll save up some money, and then we'll build our own house on the property. And that that was our goal. And so we move into that in like May or June of that year. And, um, and it was great. Uh, we lived there until uh, the day before Halloween. And those of you that are from around here, you remember the Halloween floods. Um, well, th- that flood flooded our house. Uh, two and a half feet of water does a lot of damage. So we lost just about everything. We lost, you know, fur- like all furniture, um, all of our books, um, much of our pictures, 
and memories of that sort. I was able to rescue um, my iPad and my laptop, and um, Ro lost all of her shoes because um, the Lord cares more about my shoes, and so there was a protective bubble. Well, actually, I grabbed my shoes because mine are more expensive than hers. You got to think about this. You don't want anyway. Um, Anyway, we like we lost like we lost we lost we had two cars at the time. We lost one of those cars in the flood because um, we were trying to pull out of our driveway. We didn't know the culvert was washed out, washed away, and so it bent the frame of the car. Could never you know prayed over it, didn't work. So we had to throw that car away, donate it, and uh, we were down to one car. I mean, all this within a forty-five minute span of fifteen inches. I think it was in forty-five minutes, and our pond just we didn't have water or flood insurance because we weren't in a floodplain. We didn't have any, the car insurance didn't cover anything. Like we literally lost stuff. And um, the next day we had an outreach on, uh, on on Halloween, so we went to that outreach. We we served people and um, it was great. And then Saturday we went and tried to clean up and get stuff out and start airing things out. Um, and then Sunday we go to church and we were meeting in the Cinemark Theater, and uh, uh, it was it, there are some services. Some worship services, maybe, maybe you've never experienced this, but there's some worship services you attend because you just really want to, and it's just great. And there are other worship services that you remember more than those worship services because things were not great. And you were not attending because God is so good. Hallelujah. You weren't attending because you were just overbounding with Thanksgiving and all the wonderful things in my life. You were attending. It's, it's, more, uh, it's more like a ring in the tree sometimes your worship is a ring because it's just a decision to believe that God is good even when it seems like maybe he's not as good as we thought and, and it, was, it, was, it was beautiful I, I love that worship service and uh, Noah was with us and Noah and I led um, a worship song and I was just wondering if we could just sing this as we close out today I asked uh, Michelle just kind of last minute this morning, I asked her, "Hey, do you know that? Do you know that song?" And so, um, I think, I, I think I'd like to lead us just in this worship song. And if you'd like to stand with us as we're dismissed today, um, we're going to be dismissed. Um, oh, hey, could you grab my iPad? We're going to be dismissed um, with this song. And 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 that day when I was um, playing it, thanks. And uh, I just remember tears streaming down my face as I was playing the keyboard uh, for her to sing along to. And it, it wasn't like tears um, of sadness. It was tears of thanksgiving. Uh, yeah, it was tears of, of thanksgiving because I, I had something that the flood couldn't take away. You know? And maybe maybe you've never experienced great loss, and I, I and maybe you have experienced greater loss than I have experienced. But when you experience a loss at a new level, it really helps clarify the value of those things which cannot be taken away. Mainly Jesus. And as we as we sang that, I just. Uh, just so so thankful for Jesus for his
his stability in my life, for his consistency in my life, for his worthiness to be praised, to be lifted up, to be glorified. No matter what I'm going through, he is faithful. He provides the growth through every season. So I think they're going to have words for this up on the screen maybe, but it's an old song that we used to do.
is not well with your soul, if you have some fruit that's missing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Just